Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced by the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Hi, Karen. How are you? I'm great, Anne. How are you? Good. Welcome back to our last podcast of the year. This is so exciting. Yay, um, the end of 2020. It's going to be the best year in a, in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about, about why that is right now, right? I am so excited because today, which when this is recorded is December 16th, I got my first COVID vaccine today. Yay. Yay. Yeah. And you said it didn't hurt, which is so exciting. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, that woman who gave it to me is part of our hospital's um, flu vaccination program. So like that is her job giving shots, but she was awesome. It was like, boom, done. No problem. And it was an amazing, you know, I work at a giant hospital system with 20,000 people. So there was like really impressive throughput, like a whole giant room of just people getting shots and going for their little waiting period afterwards. Nice. Nice. That's so exciting. Yeah. We're going to get ours in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And so they set us all up with appointments three weeks from now to get our second one. And then once this first six weeks is over where they're essentially vaccinating all of the um, patient facing folks who work in our systems facilities, then they're gonna move on to um, affiliated hospital, um, like basically community providers who are working with us. And then after that six weeks is over, they're going to move on to like other employees. And then I don't know what comes after that. Yeah. Well, I'm very impressed with how organized your health system is. This is a lot of work to try to organize that whole thing. Yeah. And um, you probably have had the same experience as I have had recently with tons and tons of questions to our breastfeeding medicine clinics about whether our colleagues who are nurses and doctors, et cetera, who are... Um, contemplating pregnancy or are pregnant or certainly are breastfeeding, whether they should be taking the vaccine. And that has, um, it's been challenging and it's been scary to, you know, to worry about, about uh, what could happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this year has been scary for a lot of reasons and, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and forever, um, generally pregnant and lactating people have been excluded from clinical trials to protect them instead of protecting them by including them in the trials. And so um, I wanted to talk about a couple of statements that came out that were um, about recommendations for vaccination um, during lactation. And also just highlight that um, both the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine and the Society for Maternal and Fetal Medicine both highlighted um, the need for including those populations in clinical trials. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that really I thought that all of these statements had some great things about them and they helped me, even though I've been paying attention to how the vaccine works to understand a little bit better about how the vaccine works, which makes us um, 
you know, understand the biological plausibility that it could be safe and potentially protect the baby. And for those reasons, I have been answering all of those people who have been texting me and messaging me, should I, you know, get the vaccine while I'm breastfeeding? Yes. Yes. I think that I strongly recommend healthcare workers or others who are at risk, get the vaccine. So spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) That being said, um, I wanted to just start in the ABM statement where um, it talks a little bit about the, um, the first vaccine to get approved in the United States, which is a Pfizer BioNTech mRNA vaccine. Also the um, mRNA COVID vaccine from Moderna, which is going to be reviewed in the coming weeks, has a um, very similar um, profile. And so this information should be applied to both vaccines. Um, and they point out that these vaccines are made of mRNA, which is then encased in lipid nanoparticles. Um, And the difference between these new vaccines and vaccines that we have had in the past are, I I heard somebody explain this and I thought it was just fantastic. The mRNA is like directions for a 3D printer. And inside of our cells, there are ribosomes that read these directions and then make proteins. And normally they're making proteins that we need to run our body. But in this case, it's making a protein that is identical to the spike protein on the outside of the COVID virus. And that protein is then recognized by our immune system as foreign. And we start learning how to make antibodies to it. So it's not live. It's just a tiny little portion and it couldn't infect us. It's not a live vaccine, um, but it does allow us to make something that instead of injecting foreign particles into us, they are still, but then they make the protein that we react to. The lipid protein is what was so hard for them to not lipid, the lipid particle is what was so hard for them to make. And it took years. And that's the reason why the vaccine has to be so cold. As the mRNA are extremely fragile, those lipid particles degrade after about a day of being not at very cold temperatures. And, um, and that's also part of the reason this vaccine is going to be safe in these populations, because once the intramuscular injection is given, the um, uh, mRNA is taken up by muscle cells, where it is it doesn't go into the nucleus, it doesn't get into our DNA, but it goes into the ribosomes, it gets made into these proteins. And if it goes into the circulation, it is very rapidly degraded. It's not, it wouldn't be expected to make it to a fetus or to make it to even the breast. Um, And so um, that replication takes place. And um, then you have to have another dose of the vaccine three weeks later to make sure that you have a robust and long lasting response. And about two weeks after the second dose is when we would expect about 95% of individuals to have immunity. So it takes a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's true for many vaccines, right? It takes a couple of weeks to see the full effect. Yeah, there was a um, meme that was going around the internet about how the, the spike protein may be similar to a placental protein. And there was a concern that the vaccine could increase the risk of um, of like threatened pregnancies, for example, or increasing mm-hmm. uh, infertility. And uh, I checked out the Pfizer website on that and they say, you know, that's really not an issue. Um, this is a, this, what, this came about from uh, people sort of picking apart 
um, some of the very fine details about this protein and about some of the proteins that are in the placenta and that this would be very, very rare and not likely to happen. So that was encouraging as well, because I think that that set many people back and, and had them pause when they heard that. Yeah, that is um, certainly something that you would be concerned about if you heard it. And I actually had not heard that yet. Um, the other thing from the ABM uh, statement is it reminds us that following vaccination against other viruses, IgA antibodies are detectable in breast milk within five to seven days. And um, there are several studies that have been started to test breast milk for antibodies in um, women who are getting um, these vaccines. Um, I, I think that it is a little bit um, easier for me to say wholeheartedly, yes, if you are lactating, I think um, the vaccine is, doesn't worry me at all. And I think, you know, not just because of what you just said, but just, you know, it's a very different physiological condition from being pregnant. Yes, and um, I think it's really interesting. I wanted to move on to the um, ACOG statement really quickly. Um, because I had not read this statement, but this morning an OB I know had um, called me and asked me what I thought. And she said, you know, the statement was really um, not very, I don't remember what she said. It wasn't a strong recommendation for it. Um, and, and I think that while it isn't as strong as the ABM statement, um, I think there are some really positive things about it, but I also noticed that, you know, the way that she felt about it when she read it and the way I felt about it were different. And part of that has to do with just how we feel about what is um, doing no harm and, and how we protect our patients. And so the um, ACOG statement, you know, of course reminds us that this vaccine development and regulatory approval are rapidly progressing. There's going to be lots of new information coming down the pike, this is an emergency use authorization. Um, and that in reviewing all of the available data, the advisory committee on immunization practices issued an interim recommendation of the Pfizer vaccine for persons age 16 or greater, um, which I, you know, I think that's interesting. These were not studied in children. Um, this, and they then say, ACOG recommends that COVID-19 vaccines should not be withheld from pregnant individuals who meet criteria for vaccination based on the recommended priority groups. Um, they recommend that it should be offered to lactating individuals similar to non-lactating individuals if they meet criteria based on prioritization of groups um, and that we should have access to available information, or sorry, the individuals should get access to available information about the safety and efficacy of their um, vaccine for decision-making. This includes, you know, the level of transmission in the community, the potential efficacy, the risks to that particular patient, um, those sorts of things. And I think, you know, to me, while this isn't a strong recommendation for it, it would not discourage me from giving it to a high-risk individual, and particularly, you know, the first people in line to get the vaccine are healthcare workers. And one of the things I didn't realize, although when I thought about it, it made total sense, was that 75% of healthcare workers in the United States are women. Oh, really? It's 75%. That's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of people who are either pregnant or breastfeeding who are mm-hmm. lines in this country. Yeah, it is a ton of people. Um, and then uh, the Society of Maternal and Fetal Medicine strongly recommends that pregnant and lactating people have access to the vaccines and that they engage in discussion about potential benefits and unknown risks with their healthcare providers regarding receipt of the vaccine. Um, of course, due to the limited supply at this time, it's really the healthcare workers that are um, going to have availability and they are at higher risk. Um, they have a section for pregnant persons. They also have a section on efficacy and fetal risk. The fetal risk section says counseling should include the theoretical risk of harm to the fetus. Um, the risk from mRNA vaccines is thought to be low due to the expected degradation of mRNA in the circulation. Um, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices reports preclinical studies have been reassuring. Individual decision-making needs to balance the theoretical risks with the risks associated with delayed vaccination and the possibility of maternal infection. And there has been um, an increased risk to pregnant women from COVID that has been shown to include um, admission to the ICU and death. Yes, they have a higher risk of uh, right being intubated, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that you know there's this post-vaccination symptom that can be mild to moderate in severity with you know, some fatigue and fever and those sorts of things. That was really, fever was in four, less than 4% at the initial dose and less than 16% at the second dose. You should not get it if you're allergic to any component of a vaccine. Interestingly, I learned that this vaccine does not have um, any um, additives. Sometimes they're called adjuvants that make the vaccine more irritating to help provoke a stronger immune response. So there aren't any of those sorts of additives in this vaccine. It'll make a lot of people happy. And it also just says that vaccination is recommended for lactating persons. I like the language that they use. It's very inclusive. Um, And so that was all very positive, I thought. Yeah, that's great. Um, One of the questions that I receive from many people is whether or not taking the vaccine is going to increase the the protection of their nursing infants. And my feeling about that, it's interesting to me that the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine mentioned that there should be increased IgA in response to the vaccine. But I don't know if that's truly the case because we know, for example, that it's going to be an IgM and IgG response, right? Um, And IgG and IgM are not the predominant antibodies that go through breast milk. It's um, because what's really, the antibodies in breast milk are there to protect the gut lining. And those are IgA because that's IgA lives on the mucosal surfaces. And I thought that IgA production largely comes from natural immunity because you know everything sort of that we contract tends to go into the gut, right, eventually. Um, and then it's the... Um, it's the mucosal defense. Uh, it's the lymphoid tissue in the gut that actually produces that IgA. So I don't know. I'm curious to find out how much IgA is actually produced um, from the vaccine. So I've been telling patients I just don't know. I do anticipate that um, that a newborn whose mother was immunized during pregnancy should be protected, just like we do know that's why we give the um, Tdap vaccine for pertussis for tall pregnant women so that the babies are protected from pertussis until they can have their first vaccine at two months. Um, 
but yeah, I'm curious. I, I, I'm curious to find out more about the antibody response that we will see. Um, we know that there are some studies that are just starting, right? Uh, looking, asking for breast milk samples from women who have been immunized and who've had natural immunity to see what the vaccine, what the um, antibodies look like. Um, from what I, when I've looked at studies on the antibody response to COVID among mothers um, who have had natural immunity, they um, have been measuring IgG in breast milk and have not mentioned IgA. Um, but it may just be because that's the assay that they used. Uh, and usually when we're checking for immunity, we're using IgM and IgG and not necessarily IgA measurements to certain you know, germs, infections. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I wonder, I didn't look at the, you know, um, references to see what they were for which, which vaccines caused that IgA increase in breast milk. And I would also say that I didn't um, remember to touch on this, but the um, AVM protocol also mentioned that, you know, if, although it's unlikely this mRNA were to potentially get into breast milk, they would expect it to be degraded in the infant's gut. Um, so I think, you know, potentially it could be beneficial to the baby as well. Certainly um, what they have seen in studies around the world is that for the most part, children are infected by their parents rather than the other way around. And so by, you know, keeping that healthcare worker mom from getting COVID and bringing it home to her baby, that's going to be a great way to protect them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Well, that's really exciting. I just am um, so excited to have um, some avenue out of this pandemic, you know. Um, so I'm feeling hopeful that we will be able to see each other later this year. <laughs> yeah, I would say the main side effect for me for the vaccine today was euphoria. I've been in a fantastic mood all day long. Yeah. Texting out the selfie I took while I was getting the shot, and oh, nice. um, yeah, just that's so great. Nice. All right, Karen. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we will get this posted, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. I hope you feel well tonight. Okay. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah, bye. For questions regarding this podcast, please contact us through our website at lacted.org. We have other educational projects, including the Clinical Question of the Week, our Little Green Book of Breastfeeding Management for Physicians, and our various educational courses and conferences for physicians and other breastfeeding supporters. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast Facebook page, where you can post any questions or comments about our podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you in about four weeks.